Good morning. My name is Janet Galante, and I'm one of the ministers here at FCC. I get to work with our college students, and I work with our small groups, too, as well. And in our series right now, we've been having a series called Love Everyone. And through this, we've challenged you all to get in a group. And I've heard so many good stories already of people who've been in groups or started groups. There's a group on Wednesday night of young parents who are coming together to carve out some time to meet and go through this material. And I just love that. It's been hard for them to find a way to do that. But they found that Wednesday nights, we have such a great kids ministry, such a great team full of volunteers who are making it possible for their kids to both be cared for while these parents come and meet together. We have so many other groups on Wednesday nights as well if you want to be a part of that. I know of someone else who's taken this material beyond the walls of the church, and he's doing it with his staff at work. They meet just for 20 minutes at a time in these little increments during their lunch breaks, and they go through it as best they can. I love how he's getting creative with that. There's another group, about 20 young adults are cramming into Ethan's house right now and meeting together to go through this material. And hey, I think we should have a contest. How many people can we fit in Ethan's house? So if you're a young adult, you should come along, join that group. Because we have so many awesome ways that you can get connected through this. There's men, women, co-ed, seniors, uh, online, so many different groups. So if you're not in one, I want to encourage you. It's not too late to top in a group. Join one because we want to be all in for this series. We want this series to change our lives, to change the way we're acting. And one of the reminders we have for ourselves is actually these t-shirts. You can grab one of these if you want. Maybe it seems like a small thing, but I love how these shirts can kind of remind us when you go to put that on. Yeah, I want to love everyone. I want to do that today. You know, this series has really resonated with a lot of people already. Because it's all about changing the world. I think it's easy for us at times to think through how we wish the world would be, how maybe we wish the world would be more loving, kinder to us, that certain people would act this way or that way, and we look around and just wish we could find a trapdoor that sent us on to another world. But really, we're challenged to change the world to bring about a different world. We see that Jesus came to enact a new kingdom, the kingdom of God on earth, and we get to be a part of bringing that about. So this series is an invitation to bring that to the world, to bring about that world. You know, I was talking with Lisa Blankenship. She's our counselor on staff here. I was talking with her this week, and she had a really great insight that I want to make sure to share with you today. She was saying, when we have material like this, sometimes it's really easy for us to think, well, it's all about them, the people who I'm supposed to love, if they would be better. We put the burden somewhere else, anything to keep it off of ourselves. And we say, well, if they would be nicer to me, yeah, then I could love them. If they would be less rude, if they would do this, if they would show up for me, then I could do it, I could love them. But Lisa said, no, that's not the challenge of this series. This series is about you and what you need to do, how you can bring about this world, how you can love everyone. And that's not easy to do, but that's what we're aiming to do. We are seeing how God is calling us, you and me, to bring about this world and love everyone. 
Someone in my small group this last week got it. She was sharing with us. She said, this series has been a lot for me already. I just know I have two coworkers and this series is gonna show me how I'm gonna love them. I don't know how, they're really annoying. They're really hard to work with, but I'm gonna love them if it takes all that I have. And she's kind of left that challenge up to God. She said, God's gonna show me how I'm gonna love them by the end of this series. And that's it right there, because as followers of Jesus, we're called to love everyone. And if we're gonna do that, well, we have to love each one. We have to love one at a time, get specific, pick another and another. And this is all about us putting love into action, being specific and practical. We wanna leave no questions about what it looks like for us to love everyone. So the questions we've been asking ourselves during this have been who and how. Who are you going to love and how will you love them? Who are you uniquely positioned to love? You see, we all have specific spheres of influence. We have our own circles. We have different relationships with people. And there's someone in your world who you are uniquely positioned to love in a way that no one else is. And how will you love them? How will you put this love into action? We're talking about who and how, and we're naming that. A lot of you made commitments over the last few weeks. You see these boards in the corner. We've used those to write names down, and we have been praying over these commitments, praying over the names on the boards and the ways that we're gonna love them. Because this is important. We wanna make sure we know what we're doing to love these people. Last week, we said that the first who is your family, and we thought together about that. Did you love anyone in your family this week? I hope so, but if not, there's still time for us to live out these commitments because imagine how different the world would be if we all loved our families truly, deeply, and completely. Well, that just might change the world. So we said last week that our first who is our family and today we're going on to our second who. The who we are talking about today is the church. We wanna love everyone in the church. And I love when you see this happen. I hope you have some stories where you've experienced the love of the church, or you've seen the love of the church at work in the world. I know I've seen this in my own life. Last year, my husband Michael, he had knee surgery, and during that time, you know, it was a busy, hectic time for us, people pitched in, they brought us meals. Someone offered to help with our yard work. Some people drove Michael to physical therapy when I wasn't able to get there. People jumped in, and that's how we felt the church's love. A friend of mine, when her father passed away, she told me how the church had just been amazing in that. She didn't expect it. It was such a hard time of loss and grief. And at the same time, these people were stepping in to support her, to show up and be there. Someone even helped her plan the funeral. It was incredible how the church loved her through that season. I met up with someone a few weeks ago. I said, hey, how are things going at FCC for you? And they said, it's been amazing. I've made so many connections and friends. I was invited to this small group. I might check out that one. Oh, I'm gonna jump on a serving team. This person asked me over for coffee. I mean, they were just rattling off thing after thing after thing that made them feel welcome. They had moved from somewhere else where they didn't feel like they had many connections. And then they came here and instantly people jumped right in. And that's it right there, isn't it? That's what we hope would happen. That's the picture we would love to see in the church. But still, we know 
We don't always succeed in this, do we? There are other stories to tell. I myself have my own stories of church hurt, and you might too. The church is made up of people, so it's inevitable that we would hurt each other at times. We'll have the usual human problems, maybe being rude to each other, being selfish, and sometimes being downright cruel. But church hurt, it hits a little differently, doesn't, doesn't it? It stings a little bit more. I have my own stories of how the church has loved me, how they've shown up and been there for me, but I also have stories of when the church failed to love me. And those stories, those memories have stayed with me, both the good and the bad. Or I have a friend, I think of someone I grew up with who said that their experience at the church was so bad that they'll never step foot in a church again. And it's not because this person doesn't believe in God or the Bible, it's because they experience such pain that they don't want to come back to a place as hateful as the church. And that just breaks my heart when we see that this place that's supposed to be full of God's love can hurt people. Because we know what we're supposed to be. The church is actually supposed to be the living embodiment of Jesus's love. That's what we're called to. We are supposed to be flesh and bones on the love of Christ, carrying it out into the world, embodying it so that the world can taste it and experience it and see the goodness of God. Jesus told us this. We see here in John 13, Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So we see that's what we're supposed to do. That's what we're supposed to be. We want to be so loving that people can tell we're following Jesus. To be so loving that people experience God's love through us. And when we love each other, well, everyone can tell. They can see God's love. They can tell we follow God. But when we hurt each other, our witness to the world breaks down. We actually kind of bury God's love a little bit. We obscure it, hide it from people. Then it's harder for them to see. But when we, the church, succeed, the world can see it. It shines bright. The world can experience the love of God. And they can understand how God is at work. Because I think we know Jesus was right. When we love each other, people can tell we follow Jesus. And they can tell what Jesus was about. And that's what the early church was. They truly lived out this passage. The early church loved each other so well that the world noticed. And if you've been keeping up with our devotions, we have this study guide we've been giving out. If you've been keeping up with that, you'll see throughout this week that there are so many passages and stories where the early church did this. They loved each other so well that the world could tell. And we're going to take a look right now in Acts 6 and see what that passage has to say. This passage is fascinating because uh, the church has a problem at this point. The church had gotten big. It was growing and growing, and now it's about five, 6,000 people. And as it grew, it got divided. It's divided between the Greek-speaking Jews and the Hebrew-speaking Jews. So that division created a problem, but it also created an opportunity for love. Check this out. 
In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Greek-speaking Jews among them complained against the Hebrew-speaking Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So what do we see here? Well, we see those two groups again, the Greek-speaking Jews and the Hebrew-speaking Jews. And the Greek-speaking Jews notice that there are some people who are being overlooked. They see them. And, you know, it kind of makes sense that the Greek-speaking Jews would notice this because these are their widows. They're the widows who speak the same language as them. The Hebrew-speaking Jews might not even know these women. They haven't interacted with them in the same way, most likely. So what do the Greek-speaking Jews do? Well, they bring it to the attention of others. They point out this problem. And what I love is how this problem gets solved. You see, the 12 didn't shift all of their efforts towards caring for these widows. They knew that they couldn't do that. There were other ministries to do, other people to care for. So they turned the responsibility over to a few specific people. They named them, they commissioned them, they prayed for them and sent them out. The others couldn't give up their ministry. There was important work to do. But these people could do this ministry. They were people who were specifically and uniquely positioned to love and care for these widows. So we see here the only way that they could care for everyone was if everyone loved the people who they were uniquely positioned to love. That's how it works. If everyone loves the people who they are positioned to love, then, well, we might just have a chance at being able to love everyone. If each person loves that person, then we can love everyone. And here we see these men, they sure were uniquely positioned. You see all the names that I just read? Those were all Greek names. So these are people who grew up in a Greek-speaking household. They spoke Greek. So the disciples picked people who spoke Greek. That makes sense, doesn't it? They looked for people who were positioned that they could care for these widows. And notice this, it says, choose from among you. They weren't deflecting the responsibility. I think it can be easy to read it that way by accident. No, they were saying, let's pick some people who actually speak the same language. Let's pick some people who are able to care for this problem. And there's another interesting thing, too, to know about this, is that they ate the same food. So Greek-speaking Jews didn't keep kosher, while the Hebrew-speaking Jews did. So it wouldn't even really make sense for the Hebrew-speaking Jews to try to feed the Greek-speaking widows. They wouldn't know what they ate. They wouldn't know how to keep up with that, what their diet even was. They ate different food. So the Greek-speaking Jews were able to minister to the Greek-speaking widows. That's how it works. 
It wouldn't make sense for the Hebrew-speaking ones to minister to them, but you know who does make sense? Well, Philip makes sense for him. That's a Greek name. Stephen, another Greek name. That's great. Prochorus, that's a Roman name, so we know he spoke Greek. Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, all Greek names. Nicholas, he's not even from Jerusalem. He's from Antioch, so we know he spoke Greek. They looked for the people who were precisely, uniquely positioned to love these widows. Because not everyone could do this ministry. But they also didn't want the widows to be overlooked and neglected. So they turned this responsibility over to the people who were positioned to love them. And that's how we want to love people too. When people in our church need love, we want to look for the ones who are uniquely positioned to love them. That's why when you hear us say, you know, we're ministering to the top two generations in the church, well, often the leaders of that ministry are within the top two generations. They know the needs of that generation in a different way. I get to work with college students, and often when I'm looking for college leaders to plan events and run small groups, I'm looking for college students because they are uniquely positioned. They know what college students need more than I do. Now, at the same time, it's not always college students. Our food team for the college ministry is mostly made up of people from different generations. The college students aren't really uniquely positioned to feed themselves yet, so we're looking for people who are able to. And we have a great team there who is able to step in to cook and give generously in that way. We look for the people who are uniquely positioned to serve. That's how the church should work. We can't each love everyone, the entire church, but we can all love someone. We can love the people who we are uniquely positioned to love. And if we love the ones who we, if we love one the way we wish we could love everyone, well, then everyone could actually get loved. In Acts, who was positioned to love Greek-speaking, non-kosher-keeping widows? Turns out, it was Greek-speaking, non-kosher-keeping young men. Those were the ones who were ready. They had the time and the strength to become the first century meals on wheels that these widows needed. They cared for those who they were uniquely positioned to love. And it worked. I mean, did you catch how that passage ended? It said the word of God spread. Just like Jesus said, they'll know we are his disciples by his love. The word of God spread as they loved those widows, as they learned how to love within their community. And that's what Jesus promised. And that when we love one another, the word of God spreads. The number of disciples grew and grew. So that's why we ask, who is uniquely positioned to love others? Who is gifted to love them? Because that's how we want to love. And in fact, we see this later in the Bible, later in the New Testament. Paul is writing a letter to a Christian community in Corinth to explain this even more. He says, this is what it looks like when we love the way we are gifted to love. We see this in 1 Corinthians 12. It says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. I hope you hear that last line. To each one, to everyone, to all of us, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. 
to love others. We each are given the spirit so that we can serve others in a specific way. We've got to do that. That's what we're talking about, using your gifts and your unique opportunities. And if that's true, that we have that, then it's just a question of what you'll do, what your role is. We know that we all have a role. And, you know, we're going to go on with this passage in just a moment. But I want you to know, Ethan loves this passage so much that he's actually written a play about it. Maybe some of you have heard this. He does this play at every First Things First class. So if you want to see that, I mean, it's got drama, it's got action, comedy, all the good bits. Come to our next First Things First class, and he would be happy to perform that play for you. Because he knows that this passage matters, that we all figure out what our role is. So we're going to go on and see what beautiful image Paul gives us about the body of Christ. He says, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, well, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. And there should be no division in the body, but its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you, right here today, you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. And I just love this image. This is one of my favorite passages. How it says that we are all a part of the body. I mean, it's just this beautiful metaphor to think of what's true about us. That we really are uniquely positioned to love one another. It's kind of like this. It makes me think about how I actually, I have hearing loss. So growing up, there would be things that I wouldn't hear all the time. I would miss a lot. But my twin sister, Joanna, well, she has perfect hearing. She can hear everything. And sometimes, you know, we'd be going about our day, and if I couldn't hear someone, we kind of developed a system. If I didn't know what someone said, I would just look at Joanna, and she would tell me what they said. She would jump right in without missing a beat. She became my ears. She was in that position that she could be my ears, so that's what she did for me. And now when I got married, I didn't have Joanna with me all the time, so I remember the first time with Michael where I looked at him hoping that he would jump in and tell me what someone said. It was actually on our honeymoon, I remember it. We were sitting at a restaurant and I asked a waiter to repeat themselves two, three times, enough that I really couldn't ask them to repeat themselves again. So. I looked at Michael, and he looked back at me, and that was it. I mean, he didn't know that he was supposed to be my ears. He didn't know that yet. I hadn't had a chance to tell him. 
And now we've been married for six years now, and he has learned that. He knows. He's become my ears. He knows that's something I need, and it's really been such a blessing that he is able to step in in that way. But that's what Paul is saying this passage is like, that we have people who are uniquely positioned around us. If Michael and Joanna hadn't acted as my ears, well, then I just couldn't hear. That would be it. And Paul's saying, if the people in the church aren't playing out their roles, then we don't have those roles. We could be missing our eyes and ears and fingers and toes, and we need those roles. We each have a part to play. If you don't play your part, then the church is lacking. If you don't play your part, then someone's not getting cared for. Because you just might be the person who is uniquely equipped to love them. And that means that every role matters, no matter what it is. There's nothing too small or weak or insignificant. Every act of love is needed. That's what this passage says. Every act of love is needed to build up the body of Christ. So we need every part of the body to be at work. Which part are you? Maybe you're the hands building things for people um, like the handyman team or knitting hats like our knitting group does. Maybe you're the mouth. You're standing at the doors greeting people on Sundays or you're leading worship week after week. Maybe you're the knees. You know, a lot of people have bad knees, so I know we need some knees in here. Maybe you're working in the nursery. You're getting on the level of the young ones in our church. You're loving them. You're caring for them. You could be the eyes, nose, eyelash, fingernail. I don't know what those roles are all, but we need them. We need every single part of the body of Christ. There are so many different ways to be involved, so many different roles we have, and we need them all. Otherwise, where would the body be? That's what Paul says. If Paul says if we don't play our part, where would the body be? You are uniquely positioned to love someone within this church. You have a part to play. So there's someone specific who needs your love. We can't all love everyone. We can't be all the body parts. But we can love someone. We have to love someone. Because if you don't play your part, we're weaker as a church. Without you, we're lacking. We're missing something. If you don't play your part, the whole body suffers. If we're not loving the body the way we're all uniquely positioned to, then it's harder for the church to love everyone, for us to care for everyone. So we all have to love someone. And now just so you know, I do see ways that our church is already really good at this. I think of a story I heard recently of two people who have committed to sitting next to each other in church. They were new around the same time and they decided we are gonna just join up every week so that way we never have to sit alone. And I just love that. They've said, we are seat buddies. We're going to be here every single week with one another. Or I think about a man named Wayne Dunlap. Some of you knew him. He passed away unexpectedly last week. And Wayne is just such a great example of this message right here. His funeral felt like we were hearing all of these words, really, the way that Wayne served a Sunday school class here. And they were mostly the generation above him. And he put his heart into that group. Every week I heard yesterday that he would come early, he'd set up the classroom, and then he'd leave to pick up the guy who would teach the class and give him a ride over to church. 
And that's the body of Christ right there, that Wayne did what his part was. He set up the classroom and he drove so that that way Bill could come teach the class and do his part. Wayne lived this out in everything he did. I think of someone else who has kept a Zoom group going. She leads a group, uh, a small group on Zoom. And she liked it because she lives farther away from the church, so it's harder for her to get here after work uh, in time for small groups. So she decided, I'm going to keep this group going. It's great. And that's opened up opportunities for other people who also live farther away or some people who are homebound. Or there's even a person in their group who has been coming for years from California who is able to join into that small group because that group has stayed. They've continued. I know someone else who she serves on our prayer team and she can't leave her home very much. So what she does is she writes cards of encouragement. That's her way of serving. There's so many different ways that we can serve the church. These people I've just mentioned, they are the hands and feet and ears and eyes of the church. They're the body of Christ. They're needed. They're doing this work. And maybe you need to get in the game and join in with them to join those people. What role will you play? Because now you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. Who are you uniquely positioned to love? Can you name a person or two today? It could be someone you serve with on the greeting team. You chat with them whenever you're serving together and you know a little bit more about their life because of that. There's an opportunity there. How could you love them? Or maybe you get coffee in the library every week and you chat with someone and you don't even know their names, but you've gotten to know them in a different way. Is that someone who you are uniquely positioned to love? Maybe in your Sunday school class, your small group, in your youth, your youth group, there's a new kid and he doesn't seem to have many friends yet. His family just moved here. How can you love that person? And now if you're listening to this and no names are coming to mind, if you can't think of anyone, well, then I encourage you to get involved in a new way at this church. Come to worship weekly. Join a small group. Get on a serving team. Find a way to connect because your church needs you. We do. That's what the Bible says. Without you, we're missing a part of the church. We're missing a body part. And without your love, our witness is weaker. Jesus says that that's how they'll know we follow him, because we love one another. So we need you. The world needs you, so the world can experience God's love. So if you don't know someone to love today within the church, then get to know someone, find someone, because we all need to know the answer to this question. Who are you uniquely positioned to love? Who? And you've also got to know the answer to the question, how? How will you love them? Last week, Ethan introduced us to this tool that you'll see over here, this grid that we've been using. It's in the study, guys, and we hope this would be helpful to you. At the top, you list your who. So who are the people in the church? Maybe just two to three. So I might write Jeff and Bob and Donald and whoever it may be. These are my people who I'm going to love. And then we've kind of grouped together five different ways that we can love people. These are just categories to help guide us to really think through practically what it looks like to love these people. 
So you'll see them up there. We have generosity. Well, I hope the first thing you do with every dime you make is give generously to the church because we know that that's one way that we participate in God's work around the world. But we can also be giving our resources to each other, sharing with one another in love. Then we see encouragement. Who do you need to encourage, write a card to, or even just say hi to? Can you encourage one of the volunteers you see here today? They're doing so much. They're playing their part, and maybe your part is to encourage them to keep going. We have mercy. We would hope that the church would be a place full of mercy and forgiveness. But now there might be someone who's wronged you. Can you forgive them? Someone in this community, can you show them mercy? Then we have service, meeting the tangible needs of someone. Is there someone you need to serve? Someone you can give a ride to? Someone you can make a meal for? And finally, hospitality is the last category we're using. And I just love that one. I think that says so much about who a church is and when they're able to welcome in strangers. So we all know what it's like to feel like a stranger. Most of us don't like that feeling. And I would hope that our church could be a place where strangers would feel welcomed and embraced and invited. And that's the grid we've been using that helps us figure out our who and our how. And I want you to think about it right now. Your who, the person who came to your mind. How will you love them? Maybe it's someone in your Sunday school class. You know that their family doesn't live nearby. Can you serve them? Can you help them out around the house or with some yard work that's gotten out of hand? Or maybe they need some hospitality. Can you invite them over for coffee, get to know them a little bit? Maybe there's someone in this community who annoys you a little bit. They always want to talk to you longer than you want. They talk about things that you don't really care about. But I wonder, could you show them mercy? Could you be gracious in your conversation with them? Could you be generous with your time and stay a moment longer in that conversation than maybe you would choose to? Who will you love? How will you love them? Later in the service, we're going to pull these boards out again, and you're going to have a chance to write on them your who and your how. And I hope you'll take that opportunity. I know this is week three of having these boards out, but this is so important that we take that step to declare who we're going to love and how, that we get really practical with it. Because we are the body of Christ right here. We have come together. We experience this unity and love together, each part caring for one another. And one of the ways we demonstrate our unity as the body of Christ is through the shared meal of communion. And we're gonna go ahead and share in that time together right now. I hope on your way in, you were able to grab those uh, communion elements. If you weren't, someone's coming around right now to make sure you can have those. And if you're online, you are the body of Christ. You are a part of this too. I hope you'll go find something to represent that, to participate in this meal together. We demonstrate this one body through this one meal. The book of Ephesians says there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. So it's in this meal that we find unity. We participate in one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one body together. 
So I hope in this time right now, you'll realize that as we participate in this meal, we are bound together. We are one body. We need each other. And this meal represents that, that we can come together and experience unity and love and connection. So we'll share in that meal together right now. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that you have brought us together, that you didn't call us alone, but you called us with a community of believers, a family, the body of Christ that we get to have a part of. And I ask right now that you would just give us the spirit of thanksgiving, that we would thank you for bringing us together and that that thanksgiving would spill over into tangible acts of love. Show us right now, God, how we need to love one another. We pray all this in Jesus' name together. Amen.